Welcome to the podcast of Scott Street MB Church. We hope you find this message inspiring and encouraging in your walk as a disciple of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are blessed this morning to have Vidya and Gwen Narimala with us, um, and they serve on the board of Vision Thailand Canada. They are the founding pastoral couple of New Life Christian Church uh, in Toronto, in one of our MB churches. After serving there for eight years, they were called to Kitchener MB Church, where he served for 14 years. So you're, you've worked a long time for a very young man. <laughs> He's been involved in our conference, MB Conference, at provincial and national levels, serving as the chairman for our Board of Life, uh, Faith and Life. Served as the chairman and executive board of directors for Mennonite Central Committee and for 10 years as well with uh, 10,000 villages. So my goodness, um, you've been very busy and God has used you in incredible ways. Uh, He's involved in pastoral training in India for over 18 years with Amish Mennonite missions and both Vidya and Gwen have a passion to serve the Lord. This is a bit of a background of what he's done and now let's hear what he has in his heart for us. We are so blessed to have you with us this morning. Welcome. Thank you. Good morning and a blessed uh, Thanksgiving season, not just the weekend, because the entire season of uh, October, November feels like, you know, giving thanks. Uh, And I think it's a wonderful thing for us to do. It's an opportunity that uh, I don't take lightly to be among you once again at Scott Street. In many ways, it kind of feels like a second home church for me when I come here. And I thank you, Pastor Rob and and the board, for the opportunity to share a little bit about Vision Thailand Canada uh, that uh, Scott Street supports very much, and we appreciate that. Even as some of the pictures are coming up, you can read that for yourself, but I want to just give you a little bit of an information on what is going on in Thailand. As we heard uh, the Friesen's, uh, Doug Heber, Heber, sorry, not Friesen. They're all Mennonite names, but uh, they're all good names. But uh, as Doug was sharing uh, that, uh, you know, some people are called to be somewhere else to share the gospel. Whereas in Thailand, we share the same gospel, a gospel of salvation through Jesus Christ, but We do it slightly differently in that uh, we do not send anybody from North America. We are primarily training the Thai Christian leaders to take full responsibility of the church on their own. So Vision Thailand Canada is primarily involved in that and uh, in church planting and uh, training. We have a church planting school uh, that is run in two centers in Bangkok and Chiang Mai. How many of you have been to Thailand? I know some of you have. Yeah, I know John has. We traveled, had a lot of fun. And uh, one of the things that uh, we are doing is that uh, we found out that because of the exchange of the Canadian dollar and the ability and the willingness of the Thai church and Thai Christians to want to take full responsibility for preaching and reaching Thai people for Jesus Christ, we do not send anyone. So what does that mean? Well, it means that our uh, dollar goes a long ways. 
So our budget is about $250,000. With that, we are helping 54 church groups, 54 church groups. We only provide a very uh, minimum amount of uh, stipend for the pastors up to a period of five years. If the church doesn't make it after five years, we sit down with the Thai board, which is entirely made up of Thai pastors and Thai church leaders, and we make a decision whether this church has potential to continue to reach out or we need to move on. And that's the understanding that we have right from the word go. And so after five years, we have closed down some churches because uh, there was no potential, there was no hope for these churches to make it. Uh, on the other hand, in the last five years, we have actually released 22 churches who have become financially independent of receiving any support from Vision Thailand Canada. And in fact, they are now planting churches of their own. Amen. That's exactly right. So we thank God for the enthusiasm and the open doors that Thailand has. Thailand is a Buddhist nation, uh, essentially nine, 95 to 98%, they say. Even though it's a Buddhist nation, it is not technically a religious nation. Even though you see a temple at every street corner, most people are nominally Buddhist. Uh, they have a sense of religiosity and spiritism, but when it comes to actually understanding what it is that they believe in and what they worship, um, very few people can explain that to you. So while the doors are still open, Vision Thailand Canada is taking this opportunity to train as many Christian leaders and pastors as we can. So this last year, we had a plan to start a 10 churches. We take the cues from our board in Thailand. And frankly, I mean, I came back to our board and I said, I don't know if we can do 10 churches. But we said, okay, let's see what we can do. Uh, we'll plan for that, we'll pray for that. Whether the funds will come in or not, that's a secondary issue. If, if God is in it, he'll provide. That's a lesson that I continue to learn every day. So there you go, like $2 cookies, you sold it for $50 this morning. Five Bibles, praise God. So this last month, I received a report that we have started 12 church plants. And so as I was talking to Daniel, that you will see our board chairman in a couple of minutes, uh, they have six more pastors, church planters, ready to go. And he was asking, do you have the money? I said, I don't know, but God will provide. So we are excited about that. As I said, we have all of our church planting teachers are also coming from our own churches because we want to know what is the theology, what is uh, the gospel that we are uh, training and teaching the new pastors. So this last 12 months, um, it shows in there, they baptized 115 new believers, 115 new believers. Can you believe that? And these are churches that are 30, 40, 50. The biggest churches that we have are between 75 and 100. 
And this morning they met, not in a place like this, but I would say that 99% of our churches are probably a section of this sanctuary that we have here. We are blessed with a warm place to come and cool place to come in summer and worship God. So we are thankful for that. And a number of them, uh, as a matter of fact, three of our church plants are meeting uh, under a tree outside. They do not have a place. And at least a dozen of them are meeting just under a shed, just a shed, a few chairs, and a number of them actually sit on the floor. This is what we are doing. And God is reaching out to many people uh, in Thailand. Our people are excited. Our pastors are excited about what, uh, how many people. Some of the ministries that we are doing is for the street people, uh, and Thailand is known for that and uh, especially our urban churches in Bangkok. And uh, we're also doing prison ministries. And we only do four things. You probably saw already on that one, church planting, outreach and evangelism, leadership training, and compassionate ministries of micro uh, financing, small missions of uh, chicken coops, uh, mushroom farms, fish ponds, and pig farms, that's it and we're helping women start their own lives and stand on their own feet by helping them to learn sewing uh, and also uh, hair salon and crafts and things like that. I have a small table outside there. If you see some of the crafts there, you can see. And a number of profiles of our pastors, not all of them, but a good number of them. Uh, please feel free to take one of them, have it on your fridge, and just pray for them. Pray for not only that pastor's family, but also for the mission of Vision Thailand. There's also a form there if you'd like to support. Uh, whatever you want to support on a monthly basis, we would appreciate that as well. But most importantly, continue to pray. Uh, in a way, I have a problem. Our board has a problem in that uh, there's more people wanting to serve than what we can support right now. What a problem to have. Uh, we have 23 church planting students right now uh, between our two centers. And when they are all finished, not all of them necessarily want to go into church planting, but at the same time, uh, many of them do. And when they do, we want to be able to uh, provide them with the support for at least five years. And our whole model is churches planting churches. It's not a denominational thing. It's not a conference thing. There is no conference there. It's just called Vision Thailand Canada. They do not belong to any denomination, but we preach Jesus Christ crucified. Amen. Thank you for your support. Uh, we, uh, ha I'll be standing there afterwards if you have any questions. Those are from our Lahu church plants in Northern Thailand. Uh, we built six bore wells in the last two years, so they were celebrating. That's a very typical greeting of Savadikab. No matter what time of the day that uh, you meet somebody, that's how they greet you. Would you bow with me, please? Father, you've called us into your mission. Help us to be faithful. 
in teaching, in preaching, and in serving. Amen. When you think about the word worship, what comes to mind? I have a couple of wordles there. People have all kinds of explanations on what worship means. So much so that the idea of worship and theology has confused us so much that a group of Anabaptists that have come out with a wonderful idea of a priesthood of all believers have turned into 24 denominations even within the Mennonite churches. 24 different denominations. I'm sure Baptists are many too. But there's something about worship that we seem to have a different kind of understanding as what it means. And I want to just focus a little bit this morning. There's going to be only one slide that we will set it up. We don't have to go through those words. But I am sure you've thought about many of those things when you thought about worship. So much so, there's so many articles called Worship Wars. What a sad way to look at it. Music, theology, dress, you know, chairs or benches or whether we sing from hymn books or whether we sing from the screen or drums or any number of things. Somehow we have made it into something that God has not intended for us to be. So let's uh, look at very quickly five points this morning. As a redeemed people, we come to worship a living and loving God, but also an all-powerful creator of the universe whose Holy Spirit speaks truth into our lives. Not only is he a God of redemption and forgiveness, but he is also a God of righteous anger. Lately, we have kind of uh, left that part in our preaching. As we see clearly in Psalm 95, he speaks judgment when it is necessary and brings order out of chaos. God is a God of order. Above all, he brings incredible spiritual enrichment to our lives as we see him in worship when we gather together as the family of God. A first thought. I don't feel like it. How many of you have felt that? Or said that to yourself? Especially when it happens on a Sunday morning. Imagine when you are the pastor and you are preaching that morning and you just had an argument with your wife that morning before going to church. What do you do? You can't go to church and say, I just had a fight with my wife. I can't preach. Find somebody else. Thankfully, um, I mean, I tried very hard not to pick fights with my wife on Saturday night or Sunday morning. <laughs> Monday is a good day to do that. <laughs> because you have six days to work it out. 
And some of us, it takes longer to work it out than other times. And I remember very distinctly two times I failed that test and we drove to the church. We had to sit in the parking lot, in the car, ask for each other's forgiveness and went into the church. Life happens and we don't feel like it. We don't feel like worshiping God when we know that we have allowed sinful compromise in our lives. How do we come to church when we know that there is not much peace or joy? When we do not feel very saintly? When we know we are not doing justice and not living out the righteousness that has been given to us in Jesus Christ? How do we worship when we don't feel worthy either in God's sight or even human sight? Many people ask these questions because they either feel that they are not worthy to come before a holy God, so they want to wait until they are worthy, which sadly never happens in many cases. Four years ago, I baptized a gentleman. He was 91 years old. And when I asked him why he had waited for 91 years, he said, I was fighting with God. I was angry at God. So there we were, tears rolling down his cheeks. His wife and a couple of our deacons in his living room, he sat on a chair and we, don't tell anybody, we didn't dunk him. 91 years old, he said he was fighting with God. Some feel that they are so far gone that even God wouldn't take them. I have met people like that. Still others feel that they are good people doing good things, therefore don't need God. And the present state of our culture and society is such that many don't need God at all because there is no God. To make matters worse, King David the psalmist addresses the problem of qualification or worthiness of who has the right to stand in God's presence. In chapter 24, David asks the question, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? And he gives the answer as if we don't know. He who has clean hands and a pure heart who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from the God of his salvation. Every time I read that psalm and those verses, I don't know about you, but I can tell you honestly, that sort of counts me out. It counts me out because... I don't have clean hands and a pure heart all the time. There are times when I do, and I am trying very hard to increase the frequency. However, if David's qualifications have no loopholes, I'm out. 
So what do we do when we feel disqualified? Or to come before the Lord's presence with confidence to worship him. Forget about all the other things. About music and the pastor. Whether he wears a tie or not. Because those are the things that have become important lately. What do we believe? Why do we come to worship? Those are the questions. A second thought. God's good news. You're probably wondering, oh boy, where is he going on a Thanksgiving weekend? The passage that was read for us, Hebrews chapter 10, 19 to 25, offers good news to everyone. Everyone who has felt like that at some point in their lives. And for those of you who have never experienced what I'm talking about, may your tribe increase in leaps and bounds. God himself has qualified us to worship him through the saving work of Jesus on the cross. Jesus is the only one who is perfectly qualified to enter into worship and he has absolutely clean hands and he has a consistently pure heart. The great news is that we share in this blessing. We share in his vindication. And that is why we are free to enter into worship. That's what verse 19 speaks of. We have confidence to enter the sanctuary by the curtain, by the blood of Jesus. Now this passage that was read for us is structured beautifully in its simplicity. There are two phrases that speak of God's provision to us and why we can be confident that we are not disqualified in worship. And those two phrases are both the same. Since we have confidence, since we have a great priest, therefore, in algebra they taught us that since this happens and this happens, Therefore, those three dots, therefore, we have, we have the freedom to enter into worship without any intimidation, without any restriction. It is what God has given us and no one can take it away from us. And it is why we belong in worship. There's an element of certainty in those statements out of that since we have flows three quick statements of privilege. Number three, drawing near with a true heart. Let us draw near with a true heart. Let us hold fast hope and let us consider how to stir up. Three action statements here, action phrases. Three times we are called as followers of Jesus Christ to do something in response to the provision that God has made for us in Jesus. The fact that we are focusing on Jesus means that we are fulfilling the injunction that Jesus himself gave us in John chapter 4 where he calls us about the type of worshipers that the Father is looking for. Who are they? Those that worship in spirit 
and in truth. There are no other qualifications that are given to us. It doesn't say, if you don't have guitar, don't come worship. It doesn't say, if you don't have drums, don't come worship. It doesn't say, if you don't have the best clothes, don't come and worship. None of those things seem to make the list. Only two things. Those that worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Like the Samaritan woman, when we do that, we end up focusing on the central person in worship and his accomplished work for us, Jesus Christ, that is, the one who knows everything about our lives. He knows every sinful thing we have done and will do, but he still welcomes us. That's the beauty of Christianity. See, in every other religion, or major religions of the world, one of the things is that people have to go to God out of fear, asking for forgiveness and repenting and asking and wondering whether they have done something wrong in their lives. Christianity is the only faith that says God left his divinity and came to us, lived among us, sinless, perfect, yet came to us to make a way possible for us to come to the Father. I think we understand that. He forgave us. Mind you, we had to come and ask for that. He is not the kind of God that says, you do this or else. He says, he's a gentleman. I stand at the door and I knock gently at your heart. If you open the door, I will come in and have fellowship with you. See, we struggle with that. As sinful human beings, you kind of go, God says that? God wants that? To have fellowship with me? I am not worthy. But God says, I know that. I know that. That's why I came. And because you have confessed your sin, you have asked for forgiveness, you have been baptized in the waters, you are clean. You are worthy. Number four, come as you are. Continuing with the text, we can enter into fellowship with God without any inhibition whatsoever. It is the idea behind confidence or boldness. Is it not? I mean, we learned that for those of us that were parents, sometimes we, you know, when the kids are just learning to walk or jump, you set them on a high place and then you say, jump. Have you done that? I have. And they actually jump. Why? Because they know that their parent is standing there and will not allow them to get hurt. And they will be caught. They will be safe. They have the confidence in the person that is calling them to jump. 
God is not asking us to jump anywhere. He is actually making it possible for everyone that comes to him as they are. Because many people struggle. I have met many people who said, I am a very bad person. I have done many bad things in my life. I'm a sinful person. I'm working on those things. I don't think God wants me. Have you ever felt like that? The beautiful thing about it is, God says, don't worry about it. Isaiah chapter 118 says, come now. Let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. I never understood that growing up because there was no snow where I grew up. Only pictures. They shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. What a beautiful metaphor that God is giving to us. How much more can you explain to God as to how red or how dirty, how sinful you are? And often I say, God knows that, that we are not worthy on our own. That's why he's saying, come as you are. Come as you are. The good news for us is that we can enter into God's presence anywhere, anytime. We don't need a sanctuary like this. As I said in my Thailand report, many of our churches today are just meeting in open air, just with a shed. And few of our churches are in such poor villages, they actually meet under a big tree, tamarind tree. You know what a tam tamarind tree is? It's a fruit tree, it's a very large tree. They're meeting under there. But the worship, when you are there, when you're worshiping the Lord, you forget. They don't have much. In some of our places, the only instrument that they have is a 10-stringed instrument, clapping. They have no instruments. They have no pianos. But God has called them into his presence to come as they are, and they have. And God is honoring that. His ministry of intercessory prayer continues for each one of us at the right hand of the Father. As we come to worship, Jesus knows our needs and the areas of our struggles, and he prays for each one of us, even when we cannot pray for ourselves. So finally, let us. What is let us? The text says, let us draw near to God. Let us hold fast and let us stir up one another. We know what those two things are. One is essentially, without Christ, there is no salvation. Jesus was very clear about that. No other God or religious leader ever in history had the audacity to make that statement. You can read any of that. I've read in Quran. I've read in uh, Bhagavad Gita and Ramayana. In some of the holy books, nobody has said that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
No one has said that I have the power and the authority to give my life and to take it up. You can read everywhere. And no one in throughout history, you will read nowhere that any person has come as a human being, died and rose again. This is not just the disciples saying. If you read the first century history, historians writing, it is common knowledge. Jesus Christ came for humanity to save us from sin and to bring us to himself. Paul's excitement about God's love brings us to the last of the three invitations. Come to us. Draw near to God. Have the hope and continue to spur, stir up each other. I mean, imagine if everyone on a Sunday morning comes to church and say, there's one thing that I'm going to do today. I'm going to encourage someone and I'm going to go and then say something nice to somebody. I know you do. But there's so much behind that is holding us back. Maybe there's something that happened that makes us want to kind of be a little bit careful with that person. But we are called not to neglect to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. The danger of some conflict within the life of the church is always that somebody chooses to walk away. The key word is habit. Someone wrote that no one can exist as a pious particle. As a pious particle. Our life is in the community. We are called to be encouragers, to focus on other people and their needs and desiring to be a spiritual contributor. As I continue to grow and learn to grow in serving the Lord, one of the lessons that I'm learning about worship is not all of these things that are so important to worship, but my attitude. It is so hard for me now that I'm not pastoring to sit in the church and not analyze the service and not analyze the sermon. Every time I do that, I'm going like this, stop it. Stop it. I mean, I'm kind of keeping my hands, you know, like this these days because I'll have to do that a lot. That song doesn't fit there. What was he praying about? That sermon didn't make any sense. Oh man, those drums, they were loud today. I don't know. I think our theology is going very liberal. That I will ask you to continue to keep your eyes open and ears open. But my point is, God is calling his people to come together as a people of God to celebrate, to encourage, and to come with an attitude of worship. Come, let us worship our Lord 
with confidence. listening. For any questions about the message or to contact any of our pastors, please visit scottstreetchurch.ca.